Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Joining me today is a guest who truly embodies the spirit of being an animal adventurer, Susie Spickle. Susie is a naturalist, educator, and author of the captivating book, The Animal Adventurer's Guide. If you're an animal lover who enjoys following animal tracks and chasing fireflies, then this episode is for you. Susie will discuss the importance of connecting kids to nature in the digital age, her love for animals with quote-unquote bad reputations, and share tips for nighttime animal observation using a flashlight, and of course, much more. With over 30 years of experience as a naturalist and educator, Susie knows the activities that kids and families love. This episode is all about practicality. With Susie's invaluable reminders, we can rediscover the enchantment of the world right outside our doorstep. But before we get there, I quickly want to share a minimalist resource with you. So this product is from Go Grow Kids, and the founder, Anya, shared this with me. So she does believe in simplicity, and her goal is to create products that have many uses because they're simple. So her newest company, which is the one that I want to mention, is Go Grow Kids. And the specific toy I'm talking about is called the Push Driver. It's a toy steering wheel that attaches to anything. Strollers, grocery carts, airplane tray tables, paddle boards. It doesn't require batteries. It's not flashy. I don't know if your kids like to do this, but my kids love to pretend like they're driving my car, grocery store carts. They just want to be in the driver's seat. They want to be in control. So I love that this toy brings awareness to their environment and it involves them in the task that they're doing. I think for little ones, you could just toss this in your diaper bag. So I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes for you to check it out. But I'm always looking for simple toy ideas that I know my kids would like. All right, let's get to the episode with Susie Spickle. Susie, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thanks, Diane. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm happy to finally connect. We were trying to get something organized, but we finally have you here today. So you have a book, The Animal Adventurer's Guide, that we're going to be talking about today. But before we get there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? And do you consider yourself to be a minimalist? I wish I was more of a minimalist. I'm always trying to be more of a minimalist. My name is Susie Spickle, and I'm a naturalist. And I've been a naturalist at a really sweet little nature center in a tiny town in Hancock, New Hampshire, that's southwestern New Hampshire, called the Harris Center. And I've been here about 30 years teaching people of all ages about the natural world. And I seem to acquire a lot of rocks and shells and feathers and bones and things like that. Um, I seem to collect them and I'm trying to collect them less and just leave them where I find them. But uh, I still have a ways to go on my minimalist approach. But I love it because it does have to do with your job. I don't know. I think collections in this regard are unique and different. And again, you can go down the whole idea of Marie Kondo sparking joy. I mean, those things do spark joy in your life. So I I see the point in keeping them, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, I do love all the things that I have found on all my travels, rocks and feathers and bones. And um, I use them a lot when I'm teaching people about the natural world, but I think I have a problem. I just can't stop collecting them. 
Are you familiar with the thousand hours outside, Jenny Urit? Oh yeah, I love that. Yes, I'm such a huge fan. And a lot of the families that I work with in my homeschool work and my preschool work follow that. Okay. And I just think it's brilliant. I just I love that whole program. I do too. And where her thought process and her her movement is balance the screen time with the nature time. However, you are more of an educator and an adventurous, the naturalist, like you said. And I feel like your book is more of the, now that we're outside, what do we do? What do we do out here? How can we make this richer? And so I was really excited to get your book and read through it. What started this love of nature for you in your life? Why did you choose this career? Oh my goodness. That's such a big question, Diane. I think I was, I just came out in the world loving animals. I, you know how some people have affinities for things and animals have always been something that I have loved and right from the get-go. And all my life, I've tried to find all different ways to connect with animals and help people connect with animals. And as somebody who has been an educator, a naturalist outside, primarily with kids, I work a lot with kids, I noticed that kids really connect to animals in this deep way where they their heart is open to the animal. And I think that's such a great stepping off place for building a deep and long lasting connection to the natural world. And so I really wanted to write a book that was focused on all the things that I've done outside as a naturalist for the past 30 plus years that I've seen successful in ways of connecting kids connecting to the natural world and forming those bonds There are many reasons of why we should prioritize nature outside of this crazy digital age and try to balance that screen time, nature time. But why is that important to you? Why do you think that that's important? I think it's essential. I don't think that, I don't think it's a like nice to have thing. I think it's a must have thing in our life. I mean, if we think back on our kind of ancient ancestors, they spent time outside. They had that experience of being out there and we carry that forward. It comes forward through all the generations. And when we don't allow that part of ourselves to have those experiences, I think we're missing out on a really deep and rich part of our life. And I think it separates us from the world. And the more we are separated from the more than human world, the more that we're not connected to it, that spells trouble. It spells trouble for the earth. It it spells trouble for us as a species, I think, that disassociation. So I just, I feel this deep belief and need to get people outside, really finding ways to open up their heart and connect to the natural world around them. Absolutely. I've always loved nature. I've always loved animals, but during 2020, because there wasn't as much open or we felt limited or just didn't want to deal with everything going on, we would just go into nature and the depth there just grew and grew and grew. And so now we do things like on Friday night, we went on an owl prowl hike and we didn't get to see any owls. It was also 15 degrees. (laughs) So my five-year-old was, he had had enough after an hour, but it's things like that, that you're right. It just it has this deeper connection to the earth. Yeah. And I think too, with kids particularly, they still can see themselves mm-hmm. as an owl. Like they can see it in their heart, in their mind, like, oh, I could be an owl or I could be an elephant or I could be my dog. Um, and I think those are things to really encourage and to build on because it lets 
must the child or the person be in the shoes or the paws or the skin or the fins of the animals around them? And it really can help them form a very deep and lasting bond with mm-hmm. the things around them. I have a daughter, she's 23 now, but I think when she was about three to the age of five, she basically lived as a cat, you know, she wanted me to talk to her like a cat and she had her cat name and she meowed a lot. I mean, she knew she was a girl, but she really lived like a cat. And I think it made her sort of a softer hearted person to kind of imagine herself as another animal. Now that you say that, I feel like my sister and her friends always love to play dogs. They love to play dogs and they would take turns being the dog walker. It was so cute. I do think it builds such a rich imagination and it builds creativity. So I am all about getting outside and seeing what we can find. However, depending where we are in the country, it could get scary because there are some animals that we may want to avoid. Some of these animals you love the striped skunk. My son, yeah, my son is terrified of skunks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually, when I was about your son's age, I wanted to have a pet skunk. I tried to beg my parents to get mm-hmm. me a pet skunk, you know, and they, of course, they didn't go for it. But yeah, I think you're right. You know, there are animals that we need to be careful around and skunks are a good example, you know, porcupines, venomous snakes, things like that. But uh, most of the time, those animals are going to be avoiding us um, faster than we're going to be avoiding them. And if we are just kind of very careful with our eyes open and paying attention with all of our senses on, a lot of times we can avoid or give those animals distance. That Mm -hmm. isn't to say that you have to be careful. I mean, if you live in a place where there's mountain lions, you know, you got to pay extra attention to or things like that. But I think that we we have a lot of fear and phobia around animals. And I think a lot of that is learned from how we as parents might react to an animal. And I I have a true confession here, but I'm a little scared of spiders. Oh, yes. Something about them, um, how they move, they startle me. And I've had to work really hard as a parent and as an educator, a naturalist, to not have that kind of be my first reaction around them. Mm -hmm. And because I don't want my fear to get passed out into the world. I've never been hurt by a spider. I've never been attacked by a spider. I've never even been bitten by a spider, but um, they're just a little scary for me. So I have to work on that too. And I think, you know, those, those are places to be curious about, like, why am I scared of spiders? What does that mean? And what can I do to kind of overcome that and look at the spider in a non-judgmental way? So I, and people probably are laughing at me because I have said this before, but I'm a big believer in exposure therapy. So with spiders, I downloaded the Seek app and I think it's through. I love the Seek app. It's through iNaturalist and it's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. So downloading that made made it, I guess, more fun to go and explore what the different bugs were that we were finding. And again, I think that exposure to those creatures made them less intimidating. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's so great that we have 
uh, Seek app now and that we can look and say, oh, well, that's that's a little bug and it's not going to hurt me. It eats plants, so I don't have to worry about it. I think knowledge can help us feel more comfortable. Um, and I agree with you. I mean, the exposure, the idea of, you know, continued exposure and practice with something really helps kind of grow your comfort level. And that's often yeah. what people need for the natural world. If they didn't grow up being out in the natural world and out in nature and and you're a new parent and you and you want your child to be out in nature it's like you can be explorers together and yeah. and and kind of have those experiences together I also think that if you expose yourself to getting dirty, I think that was something that I didn't do prior to having sons. Well, at least not nearly as much. And now I'm like, you know what? We're outside. You might get dirty and that's okay. I might bring an extra change of clothes. I might strip you down to your underwear on the way home, but I'm not going to keep that from you if this is the experience that you want to have today when we're in nature. Yeah, I mean, I think we try really hard to control a lot of things. And in a way that control, letting letting go of it is is a practice of minimizing or minimalism mm-hmm. um, and being open and saying this is this is the experience we're having and this this is what we're up to. And if we try to control everything, then we never really have those true experiences. So in your book, it's an illustrated activity book. It's so beautiful. I I really love it. I think it's a great little coffee table book to have set out just to look through. But I guess I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite things that you would like to share from the book? Yeah. um, Yeah. The book is really full of lots of activities. I tell people it's not really a book for reading. It's a book for doing. And it's really all about getting outside and having those connections to animals. But some of them are actually inside. And I'm a big fan of kind of going on an animal hunt in your own house, Um, maybe seeing where the ladybugs are, maybe looking where there might even be some spots. Writers, um, and feeling comfortable with that and kind of exploring that so you don't even have to go out. But my favorite activities from the book really are about getting people outside going on an owl prowl is one of my favorite activities. And it's when you go out and you look for owls and you have to kind of go out at dark, which is also exciting. And um, you can learn how to call the owl in your neighborhood, in your community, and hoot for them. And if they think you're an owl, they'll actually hoot back and come close to you, which is just so magical. It's so amazing. And in the book, I have a how to make a homemade owl collar. And I think that's really fun too, just so you know, you could take that with you. So if you're not that comfortable making a hooting call with your own voice, you can make a, a soda can owl collar. So that's one thing I love to do. And yeah, yeah I love the scat collection. Not This is not going to be for everybody. Um, <laughs> but I always like to say as a naturalist that um, scat's really where it's at. And if I have this little saying, if you really want to know what an animal eats, take a good hard look at what it excretes. I mean, it is like such an incredible way to see the food chain in action. We mm-hmm. hardly ever see a predator in our backyard eat something, but we might find a fox scat that's full of squirrel fur. You don't necessarily need to collect it, you know, that's, that's going above and beyond, but just paying attention to it and recognizing that you can identify an animal just by what it leaves behind. It actually leaves behind. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I really love is how to make a pooter. And you might be like, what the heck is a pooter? A pooter is a name for a bug vacuum. 
Oh. It's like a little way to suck up a bug without catching it in your hands. It's made with like a an empty plastic, clear plastic container and two straws. And one straw is the vacuum hose. And one straw is what you suck in. But it has a little bit of an ni- old nylon stocking around the tip of it so that you don't actually suck the bug into your mouth, but you suck it into the container. And I think that's just such a fun tool for kids because a lot of times people are a little scared to pick up a bug so if you suck it into the plastic container you can see the bug it doesn't hurt the bug you can look at the bug and then of course you can let the bug go so check that out and it's named after a guy who invented it his name was John Poos and so it's called a pooter okay that's really cool that's really cool All right. I also want to quickly know, so you talked about using flashlights for nocturnal animals. When we were on our owl prowl hunt, they wanted not a ton of light, but she also didn't necessarily, she didn't use her voice to call the owls. She was using audio recordings. And we started with the smallest owl to the great horned owl. So the screech owl, and then we did two others and then the great horned owl, just so it wasn't receiving dinner. Like if we called all these owls, yeah. All that to say, she definitely didn't want us to bring out flashlights. But the other thing I would say when I've searched for animals kind of at that dusk hour, uh, bats. I love to see bats when they're coming out. I'll be walking at night and I love to see bats. I don't know why. I just think it's so neat. I love it too. I mean, it's so cool. And if you want to go out at night and see animals and you bring your flashlight, you're not going to see too much because that light is going to send a message to a lot of animals like, oh, here they are. Let's get away. So in my book, um, I have a way that you can make a very handy kind of red covering, a red light, and you just use red saran wrap or tissue paper, red tissue paper, and you just cut out a piece and put it over the top of your flashlight. A lot of flashlights now come with a red, Mm -hmm. uh, red light that you can put on, but animals don't perceive the red. Okay. So you can be out with your light and feel comfortable and kind of see the world around you in a red light glow, but the animals won't really see you. So oftentimes I use a piece of saran wrap, red saran wrap over my flashlight. Oh, that's a great tip. I'm glad you shared. Well, Susie, where can listeners pick up a copy of this book? Again, it is so beautiful. I'm so glad that you wrote it and put it together, but where can they grab a copy? Where can they connect with you online? Oh, great. Thank you. Well, first, I have to give a shout out to the illustrator who is wonderful, Becca Hall. She did the illustrations of the book and she's from England um, and her, her pictures are really charming and whimsical and really inviting. They're so in, such an inviting look to the book. Um, and you can get the book anywhere at your independent bookstores. It's also available on Amazon um, or you can buy it directly through the publisher, which is Shambhala Books. Um, so you can check it out that way and you can find me at my Instagram, which just is Susie Spickle, or you can check out my website at suziespickle.com. And I'd love to hear and see from people who listen to this podcast, because I love this podcast. I love everything about it. Oh, thank you. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh man, that was such a hard question, Diane. I have so many resources that I love, but I decided I wanted to share an author who I have just um, always looked towards. I like to say he was Richard Louvre before Richard Louvre was Richard Louvre, and that's David Sobel. Um, he was he is a professor at Antioch um, University in Keene, New Hampshire, and um, 
He wrote uh, Children in Nature, A Wild Book of Play. What I love about him, he, my favorite thing that he wrote is something called Ecophobia. And it was originally an article in Orion Magazine, which is a fabulous nature-based magazine. And it's reclaiming the heart of um, in nature education. So it's all about how do we really help kids connect to the natural world? And he has this great quote, which is what's important is that children have an opportunity to bomb at the natural world, to learn to love it before being asked to save it. And I think that's really important. We have, as we adults know, a lot of problems in the, in the world right now, a lot of problems for the earth. And I think there's a sometimes uh, an idea that we want our kids to know about them so they can help us solve the problems or be aware of them. But I just believe that when children are young, and I'm talking about really like very young to fourth, fifth, and even even some sixth graders, depending on the sensitivity of your child, that we really keep it on bonding with the earth, on connecting with it, and not so much on the struggles that we have ahead. Because we need people who have it in their heart to really love this planet. And that's how people are going to change the path that we're on right now. So David Sobel really writes beautifully about that. And I recommend everybody to read all of his books. They're fabulous. He's a wonderful writer and an incredible thinker. Yeah, I'm looking through his work right now. There's one, Trailblazers to Whole School Sustainability, Children's Special Places, Beyond Ecophobia, um, Plant-Based Education. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thanks for yeah. sharing. Okay. All right. Well, my last question for you is, what is something that you can't stop talking about? And I'm not going to let you say nature. <laughs> okay. Um, you're going to think this is really weird, but lately I have been, I have been nonstop talking about gnomes. Yes, I said gnomes oh. and Tom Tens and Nisses, all those little, little people that kind of um, inhabit our imagination in the natural world. I'm, I'm working on a new book that's tentatively called The Guide to Forest Magic. And it's really a book about those um, kind of magical places that nature can bring us and gnomes and fairies and brownies and sprites and the folklore behind them. And I'm just obsessed with gnomes. And I'm not talking about like Christmas gnomes or like garden gnomes. I'm talking about like like the real Scandinavian kind of um, European um, look at the little people. And I guess I grew up um, reading books about gnomes. There was a book I read as a kid and I've never given up looking for gnomes. And I think it, if we can enter kind of the view of the gnome the little people around us in the natural world, it kind of makes us kind of experience magic in a different way. So, well, that's a really fun answer. I was not expecting that. I know. I Googled Scandinavian gnomes because I know of, just like you said, the garden gnomes, there's beautiful artwork of garden gnomes and Christmas gnomes, but I'm not as familiar with Scandinavian gnomes. So, yeah, I mean, they're like the caretakers of the natural world and the, and the Tom Tens like took care of your home. And if you had children in your home, they took care of the children in your home too. And the farm animals. And I just, I just love that. And I actually think that, um, it's sort of the spirit of what it what it means to be like in your special place in your home. They inhabit that spirit. 
Have you ever looked at the book Gnomes by Will? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that book. That's the book that I had as a kid. I mean, it's set up like an actual field guide. So as a person, I looked at that book and I thought these little people must be real because this is like a field guide. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just thought gnomes were real. And I spent a lot of my childhood (laughs) and admittedly my adulthood looking for gnomes. And I just think that, you know, we can get really sciencey about the natural world. I def- definitely I can. I'm such a science geek and mm-hmm. I love that. But for kids and for some adults like myself, there's a lot of magic to the natural world, a lot of a spiritual side to it that's mm-hmm. sort of like inhabits old folklore and mythology. And I think that's important too. Yeah, for sure. Well, if people haven't checked that book out, I also, I picked it up at this bookstore in Brooklyn a few years back. And I was like, Oh, should I buy this? I'm a minimalist. So I I held off. I added it to my wish list, but it is a really cool book. (laughs) It's so cool. I have my copy from growing up and the pages are falling out and I wish they would republish it. It's so beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it will make you just, uh, kind of fall in love like gnomes with gnomes like I have. Well, Susie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your love of nature. Like I said, when I saw that you had written this, I was really excited because I don't think that if our kids aren't into it now, just putting those little seeds and foundations in them, they, you don't know what they're going to love in the future. Cause it's definitely blossomed for me. So thanks for writing it and encouraging us. Well, thank you, Diane. This has just been so great. I, like I said, I've always just loved listening to your podcast and I tried to be more minimalist, but you can see in my, this is my <laughs> office. It's not, it's not like your wall, which is nice and neat, but oh. um, I aspire to, to more minimalism in my life. I think it's good. We, we just have too much stuff in our world, too much consumerism. Oh. And, yeah. and it's great that you you're out there kind of sharing ideas of how to tighten up what's important, prioritize. We'll just chip away at it. You'll get there. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.